Well, good morning. <clears throat> invite you to take a copy of the word of the Lord and open it to the gospel according to Luke. Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking this morning at verse 26 to 38 as we continue through our study of the book of Luke. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 down to verse number 38. I'd like to ask if you would stand out of reverence for the word of God Almighty as we read it together this morning. What a beautiful and glorious truth it is that we can know what God has said. Let's look in these verses together. Verse number 26 begins, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we pray as we look to your word. Father, we pray that you, your Holy Spirit would come among us. Lord, without you, this is all for naught. We need your spirit to bring the truth of your word to our lives. So Father, we humbly pray indeed that you would do just that. Help us to see our dependency upon you. Help us to see the greatness of who you are, the glory and grandeur of Christ our Savior. Father, help us to see Christ and savor him more today from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we have seen, the overarching theme of the book of Luke has been made clear to us in the first four verses of chapter one. 
Luke, as we see, has been writing to Theophilus so that he may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. Theophilus had been taught about Jesus, about who Jesus is and what Jesus had come to do in this world, about how Jesus lived a sinless life, about how Jesus went to the cross to die on the cross for our sins, about how Jesus was crucified and buried in the grave and rose victorious on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and all that the Holy Spirit is doing now through his people in this new covenant time that had taken place. Luke is writing to Theophilus and saying, look, uh, all of these things that are being written here are so that you may have certainty, you may know for sure who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And all of that message is wrapped up in the facts about how the Savior of the world came into the world. We'll continue looking at how Christ came into the world in chapter 1. And uh, chapter 1's a, a, a mouthful. There's Old Testament length of verses in this first chapter. In chapter 2, we're going to be seeing these first years of Christ coming to this world. And today, we're focusing in on how this Jesus whom we are believing in, how he came into the world. What was God's plan about how to bring the person of Christ into human flesh? What was God's plan about how he would fulfill his covenant promises? How would he do it? How would he bring fruition to Genesis 3.15 when he talked about the offspring of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent? How would he bring about the offspring of Abraham that would be a blessing to all the world? The one who would be born king in the lineage of David. How would God do that? And what type of person would God use to bring Christ into this world? Where would that happen? What would the response of the person be that God is using? All of those things are detailed for us here in these very important verses. All of the Old Testament was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. All since has been looking back on Christ and what he came to do and accomplish for us. There are truths in these verses that we need to learn and that we need to consider afresh great truths for us to apply to our lives, truths that we need to sustain us in our daily walk, in our daily faith as we seek to live in obedience to our Savior. First, we'll walk through uh, the text of this amazing account and uh, then we'll in, end up with a couple of uh, just quick uh, quick exhortations um, at the end. So we'll split this uh, section into two uh, sort of uh, uh, categories. First, we're going to look at the context in verse 26 and 27, and then we're going to look at this visit of Gabriel uh, to Mary and the rest of these verses. So first, let's look at the context, verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 continues the narrative from the previous verses about the miraculous birth announcement of John the Baptist through Zechariah and through Elizabeth. The sixth month here refers not to the six months of the year, uh, but to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
And let's be reminded here that all of this activity begins with God. Look at what it says there. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. God was moving. God was acting to bring about the fulfillment of the promises that he has made. God is doing this. God is bringing all of this about. It's according to his plan. And Gabriel, as we see, was sent to Nazareth, a city that sounds very familiar to our ears. And of course it is, but at this time, Nazareth was sort of just a podunk place. Luke probably speaks about it being in the region of Galilee because people aren't going to recognize where this town is in this region that's about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. This is in contrast, isn't it, to uh, Gabriel's uh, previous time six months earlier, his previous assignment that he had to go to Jerusalem, the capital city, to go to the temple. Uh, now he comes to Nazareth. So as before, he's coming to uh, the main city. He's coming to the house of worship that has been built and he's appearing there to priest. And here we see him going to this small, small town called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary is described here as being a virgin and being betrothed. Uh, her being a virgin, of course, means that she had never had sexual relations with a man. Betrothal is a concept that we don't really have uh, necessarily in our society here. It refers to two stages in the Jewish marriage process. Uh, so betrothal involved a formal witnessed agreement to marry and a financial exchange of a bride price. That's all, that's, this is years ago. We don't have to follow that nowadays for those of you with daughters, uh, right? There was, this, there, there was a bride price to pay. And at this point, the couple was legally considered married. And so if the betrothal process was broken off, it would actually be along the lines of a divorce. And so we could think of it kind of similar to our engagement uh, uh, time period. That was, they were considered married during that time. To break that off would be considered a divorce, but uh, it would be a year-ish later when the marriage ceremony would take place. So there would be no marriage ceremony. There would be no um, sleeping together, any sexual activity during this time period of betrothal. That would come at the wedding, the celebration, and then they're off and running uh, and, and married together. So this is that early time period of betrothal. So no one knows exactly how old Mary was during this time period, but most commentators agree that she would have been between 12 and 15 years old maybe 16. Some are adamant no later than 15 years old, all right? So no matter, 12, 13, 14, 15. This is the age of Mary when the angel comes to her. More on that in just a minute. Next, we're gonna see this visit the visit of verse 28 and 38. And these uh, verses kind of bounce back and forth with the angel Gabriel coming, what he says, and then kind of Mary's response is just filled with glorious truths about Christ, about what he's done, 
uh, for us about how we're to understand the nature of his personhood. So we'll just kind of look at the, these back and forth things in the verse. They begin, it begins with a perplexing greeting in verse number 28. It says there, verse number 28, and he came to her, that is Gabriel, came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I don't know what Mary was up to this day. Uh, it does seem like she's alone uh, when Gabriel appears to her. Uh, but here you have this faithful teenage girl. She's betrothed to Joseph doing whatever it is that she was up to on that day. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, you read his commentary. I don't know why. He, he says she was doing the laundry. I don't know. That's just uh, Luther, uh, his comments. If, if Luther, it must be right. Martin Luther said it, right? So all of a sudden, she's doing what she's doing as a young teenage girl. And then appears the angel Gabriel standing right in front of her and giving her this greeting. And as we saw from last week, as Adam pointed out, th these are not little cute cherubim coming that uh, look like a little baby with big dimpled cheeks and you're just, oh, this is a precious little thing. How beautiful. No, this is a scary sort of military sort of thing. All of a sudden, there's Gabriel right in front of this girl in a little city way out of the way that people don't really know where it is, probably in her house and all of a sudden, here is this magnificent angel. It's no wonder she thought what she did in verse number 29. She was greatly troubled, right? It says she was perplexed. She's confused. She's afraid. And yes, of course, she's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be, right? You've got an angel standing right in front of you. Gabriel says, greeting, this is pretty straightforward, hello. And then he says, oh, favored one. I just point out to you that this is the passive tense, by the way, meaning that Mary is favored by God. God is showing favor to her. She is the recipient, not the dispenser, right? So God is being, showing grace and favor to her. And Gabriel says to her, the Lord is with you. Imagine a 14-year-old teenager. Call her 14 just for the sake of moving on. Betrothed to a carpenter, hearing these very words all by yourself in a house with the angel Gabriel coming. I just, want, I just want to pause there for a minute and just to go ahead and say, especially to our young teenage girls that are present here today, I just want to point this out to you if you're still awake after all of the D-Now activities of the last few nights. Do you ever feel like you are little or small or not noticed or insignificant? Do, do you maybe struggle to get the attention of others or maybe feel unimportant? I just submit to you and point out to you from this text, God chose to bring the savior of the world into this world through a teenage girl. God saw Mary. 
God used her and that's the type of God that we worship. God sees, is what I'm trying to impress you, God loves you, God is at work in our lives, you are important, give your life over to serving the savior that Mary bore, there is a place in the kingdom for you. Times are different now than they were then, no doubt about it. You're probably not being betrothed. You probably have a phone. There's all sorts of different things. Well, you, hopefully you don't, but you might have access to one. There are all things are different, but look, the point is the same. Seek after God, the savior of the universe, of the whole world. God chose a teenage, a teenage girl to bring forth Christ our savior. There is a place for you in the kingdom. Well, how would Gabriel proceed with Mary? He would tell her an amazing announcement. Just imagine uh, that you're a fly on the wall and you're there listening to this conversation of what Gabriel said to Mary at this time as she's sitting there very much afraid. Listen to what Gabriel says. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. I don't know how big Mary's eyes are getting or what might have been the expression on her face. Gabriel breaks the news to Mary that she as a virgin will conceive in her womb and have a son and she's to call his name Jesus. This, this whole pattern here of God is with you, you will conceive, you'll call his name, follows an Old Testament pattern of what God would appear through an angel and what God would say and do. And God was doing an amazing miraculous work that only God could do. God was the author of it all. Gabriel describes this Jesus in verse 32. Gabriel says that Jesus will be great. Remember the same things were said about John in verse 15, but it was said that John, John the Baptist, would be great before the Lord. And here, speaking of Jesus, it's an unqualified greatness attributed to him. He will be great in the absolute sense. In chapter one, verse 76, John is called a prophet of the most high, but here Jesus is called the son of the most high. Jesus is the divine son of God. And Jesus will be given the throne of his father, David. Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, God promised to give David a throne that would never end in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the long-awaited king. He is the king of Israel. Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
Isaiah 11.1 1 says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You see, Jesus is clearly being communicated to Mary. How much of it she soaked in at the time is, is to be determined, but Jesus is the promised coming king. He is the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for. And it's as if Luke is pointing on this and saying, look, Theophilus, this is important. This is important. This is who Jesus is. He's coming in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises that have been made. He is the king. He's the one. This leads us to a believing question in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I am a virgin. I think Mary, believe it or not, there's a lot of chatter on this in, in the commentaries and such, but Mary knows exactly what Gabriel was saying. You are a virgin and you're going to conceive in your womb a baby boy to be named Jesus. Mary didn't know everything, I'm quite sure, but Mary did know this, virgins don't have babies. And she's asking probably with a nervous, concerned tone to her question, how can this be? This question is very similar. There's a lot of comparisons with Zechariah and that account and with Mary and this account of the question that Zechariah raised. You remember he says, how, boom, 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 because of this. That's what... He said there, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years, right? But Mary asked her question with faith. She is believing. In verse number 20, it's made clear to us that Zechariah, though righteous, did not believe Gabriel's message. Because when he struck him mute, it said there in verse 20, because you did not believe my words. All right, so that's the priest, did not believe what Gabriel said. And as we will see, Mary responded with faith. God welcomes our questions to him, but there is a difference between I don't believe sort of questions and I believe I just don't understand sort of questions. Now, Zechariah came around he believed, he followed through, him and Elizabeth had a son, he followed on in faithfulness. But in Mary, we see a beautiful picture of faith from the very beginning. And God is gracious to answer Mary, he gives her a gracious answer in the following verses. Beginning in verse 35, the angel is going to give an explanation to Mary and also a word of encouragement Verse 35 is an amazing verse, a truly remarkably important verse. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This verse tells us how God sent Jesus into this world to take on human flesh. 100% God, 100% human. 
Gabriel tells Mary basically that she would conceive a baby in her womb because the Holy Spirit of God would overshadow her. The power of God would cause this to happen to her. The language used here in these verses uh, and, and the language is imagery similar to the Holy Spirit of God hovering over the waters of the deep in Genesis chapter one and then bringing forth life. You have that, that picture of the Holy Spirit hovering. It resembles the cloud that rested on the tabernacle or God's presence hovering over and protecting his people in the old covenant. Although John the Baptist was filled with the spirit, even from his mother's womb, Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. This child to be born, it says, would be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, your babies are cute and precious and all the rest, but no baby has ever been called that Holy. Holy, the Son of God. This verse is one of the most Christologically significant verses in the Bible. Here we have before us the Bible's teaching, teaching on the virgin birth, or we could at least say at this point in the progression of things, the virgin conception. Many people reject this truth of the Bible. They reject that this could have happened or that God brought about Jesus this way. So um, I, I wanna just make a few statements for us to consider quickly three reasons why the virgin birth of Christ is so important and so practical in our lives. Three reasons why it's important and practical. And these, these three uh, reasons are, are found in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. As you look up there, uh, the incarnation of Christ, these were given, very helpful, I think. I wanted to share them with you. Number one, it shows us that salvation must ultimately come from God. These are things about the birth of Christ and the virgin conception and birth. It shows us salvation must ultimately come from God. You see, the truth of the matter is we cannot save ourselves. God is the one who must act. It can only come from God himself. This didn't come about by human wisdom or power. God initiated it. God made it happen. He brought it about. That's how salvation works. And this is how God brought about the Savior. God did this for us. He did it all. He initiated it. He started it. It's his plan. He's the one that does it. Number two, the virgin conception and birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. The virgin conception and birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. This couldn't have happened with Joseph being the father and Mary being the mother. Through the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, we have the uniting of deity and humanity together. Never happened before, never happen again. Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. Third, the virgin conception and birth also make possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. 
Sin nature is passed down from Adam, our first father. Jesus did not have the human father. And Luke says in verse 35, therefore, because of the Holy Spirit's activity, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That is, because of the way the virgin will conceive, the offspring Jesus will be holy. He will be without sin. Because you see, if Jesus was not fully divine, he could not fully save. If Jesus was not fully holy, he would need to be saved himself. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is fully divine, fully man, and without sin, what that equals is the perfect Savior. The perfect one who come to pay for our sin. He didn't pay for his own sin because he had no sin. He came for us. He's the pure spotless lamb of God come to save us. And in verse 36, the angel lets Mary in on what God has already been up to, to encourage her and to strengthen her. You know, God is so loving and kind You know, we don't see Gabriel responding here, I am Gabriel, right? Like he did the previous week. I I think he responded that way because Zechariah didn't believe him. (laughs) And he's like, look, I'm, I'm, you realize who you're talking to and who I represent? I mean, come on, right? That's what what he's telling him here. Here, there's, there's no such thing. There's this question asked, this question raised, and God is so loving and God is so kind He says, look, I'm going to do this. Here's how it's going to happen. Holy Spirit is, I can't explain how this happened. It just, I mean, right, it's God. It's it's fine. He can do anything. I mean, for crying out loud, he created everything from nothing. Right, he created light from nothing, he says, and it's, it's there. I mean, this is no problem, right? This is no problem for faithful followers of Christ, Bible reading. You're like, yeah, but cause a baby to be born? That's not beyond God, as we'll see. But God is so gracious, God is so loving, and he comes down in verse 36, and he just encourages, encourages this young little girl. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. What an encouragement that must have been for Mary to realize she's not alone in this, This is activity of God. God is already moving. God is doing miraculous things. And also to be encouraged by God's power in the life of Elizabeth. I mean, mean, doesn't it encourage you, just for a fact, just pause for a second. Doesn't it encourage you that when you see God working in other people's lives, it just helps encourage you that you know, yeah, God's at work. God's at work and you're just encouraged by seeing God at work in other people's lives. You know he's at work in your life and it just encourages you. It's not like you're all alone and all by yourself. That's one of the great things about community and church, right? We see God working in other people's lives. It just encourages us. And that's what God is giving to Mary here. They were relatives. She would know who she is, of course. She would have known that she didn't have any kids, She would have known about those prayers, that they prayed for kids, but they had no kids. She wasn't able. She kind of double dead in relation to it because she's old and advanced beyond the childbearing years. And before that, she was even barren. And then now it's told, look, she's pregnant too. 
was a miracle. It was a miracle for God to open the womb of Elizabeth, right? That was a miracle. And if that was a miracle, then what God is doing here for for Mary is a miracle, 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 right? I mean, we know that there, that could come about because just the way things work. You got a husband and you got a wife. It did take a miracle, but God, and this was just, this is beyond that. That's the truth that verse 37 points to as the angel encourages her. Listen, listen, you know our God that you believe in. Nothing is impossible with him. I'm telling you this truth. Listen, that's our God. Not one single word is beyond him. Whatever he says, that's what happens. That is our God, Mary. That's, that's the God that we worship. Look, here's what's gonna to happen to you. The, the Holy Spirit is gonna overshadow you and, and all of a sudden you're gonna be pregnant. And this, this has already happened. He's brought about a miracle with Elizabeth. And look, look, I'm telling you, be encouraged by this. That happened there. And remember the fact, nothing is impossible with God. That's who God is. This isn't impossible. Not one word with God is impossible. God is able to do all his holy will. Nothing or nobody can ever say to God, who are you and what have you done? What are you doing? Psalm 1, 15, verse three, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Nothing's impossible for him. He's amazing. He's created it all. This is the truth. This is the truth that we need to listen and just be comforted by this morning as we're here hearing from God's word to just be reminded of the fact, look, God is amazing. Nothing is impossible for him. He's in complete control. God is amazing and he can just do whatever he wants to do. Nothing's impossible. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. God is almighty. And Gabriel just reminds Mary of this very truth. And Mary responds remarkably. Remarkable, absolutely remarkable response. Verse number 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What greater answer to the work of God can we find in Scripture? Abraham believed the word of God spoken to him, and he believed the impossible. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And Mary responds to God's word, I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the slave of Yahweh. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want, that's, that's, I'm your servant. I am your servant. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want to do through me and in my life, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word and your promise. What greater picture of faith do we see? What greater example do we see in scripture for our response to the word of the Lord? 
I just want to quickly linger on just a couple things. Just hit them again. Number one, God uses those who are the least of these. God uses those who are the least of these. Throughout the Bible, God uses those who are considered lowly and weak. He sometimes uses the powerful. But mainly he uses people who don't have much popularity or human accolades. The Savior, the Savior of the world came through a teenage girl, a normal, normal, everyday person in a podunk backwater town. Trust in Jesus. Give your life over to living for him. Listen, God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. Other people might overlook you. I'm sure they do. But God knows you. Even when it feels like no one else does, that's who God uses. God uses normal people to bring about his glorious plan and work. That's good news for normal people. Number two, have faith in God's promises even when you don't completely understand them. Have faith in God's promises even when you don't completely understand them. Mary was perplexed. She was troubled. She had fear. Never before had this happened. Never again would this happen. Yes, I know Isaiah chapter seven and others speak about the virgin giving birth. Whether Mary knew about, I'm sure she knew about those verses, but I mean, for crying out loud, here's a teenage girl and the angel appears to her and she just, it's all upon her and there she is and she had faith. Mary trusted in the promise and word of God, period. She didn't know how it would all play out. How could she? Right? She didn't know. God is telling her she's going to be. She didn't know how it was all going to play out. And listen, I dare say you don't know how things are going to all play out in this life. But we do know amidst all the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the better times, the worst times, we can trust God. We can trust God. Even when you don't completely understand, have faith in him. Number three, determine afresh to live as a servant of the Lord. Determine afresh to live as a servant of the Lord. This week in studying this passage and staring at these verses, I've just been blown away at Mary's response to Gabriel, seeing at who she is and where she was in life. I've pointed out that she's probably 13-ish, 14, 15. And she responds with beautiful faith, beautiful beautiful faith. Let me just ask you in your life right now, how are you responding to the promises of God? What's your attitude and position to God and what God is up to? If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, you say, I'm not trusting in him, I'm not a Christian. Maybe I don't know what it means to be a Christian. First off, we're glad that you are here. We want 
you to hear the promises of salvation that Jesus came to bring, that Christ is sinless, that we are sinful and you are sinful. He lived in obedience from, from, from the time of a fetus to the time of death, Christ lived in perfect obedience to the Father, never once sinned. And he's the pure sacrifice sent from God to die on the cross for us. He came to set us free to pay our penalty, the one that we deserve. Christ paid it. And if you look to him in faith and trust that promise of what he did, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's what faith is. Believe God. Believe his promise. Just like Mary did. She believed. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And for those of us here this morning that are trusting Christ, how are you doing in following after him? Like Mary, are you able to say in your life, I am a servant of the Lord? Do with me as you will, Lord. Or is it more of a Lord, here's, here's what I want of you. Here's, here's what I want you to do for me and I'm gonna be all concerned about these things of what I want you to do for me and here's what I want to be in life and here's where I want to be at this time and here's, here's what I want to see happen, Lord. Would you bring this about for me, Lord? All those are fine to do, but what's your general tenor in your life? Is it Lord for me or is it, Lord, I'm your servant. Guide me, lead me. I am your servant, I am your servant. What's your stance before the Lord? Let Mary be an example to us this day. Trust me, Mary's life would not be easy. You know that as you read through the Gospels, we're going to see that. It's not going to be easy. I mean, technically speaking, she, she could have lost her life for saying what she did. She would have to endure just minimally, very minimally. She'd have to endure looks of disdain from other people for being pregnant. I mean, my goodness, where'd you get this story? An angel appeared to you. I'm all of a sudden pregnant. Good grief. What were you on? What's your problem? I mean, just imagine telling people that. She's pregnant. She's not supposed to be. But she is. What's... After Christ was born... She and Joseph would have had to flee for Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill their baby. Herod is trying to kill Christ. They have to get out of town. They have to leave their country and go to another country because she is the servant of the Lord. It's hard. She would have to watch Christ be crucified. Her son, who she bore on the cross, suffering, dying. You see, being a servant of the Lord doesn't mean life will be easy. But we trust what the scriptures say. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Determine afresh today to be the servant of the Lord. We serve 
an amazing God. Nothing is impossible for him. He is at work in the world and we can trust him. And just lastly, remember this, remember this from the text. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And we, as we stand back and look at Luke and, and, and this text and all that's taking place here, we see God bringing fruition to thousands of years of promises that have been made to bring forth Christ the Savior. I mean, the main point, and again, why Theophilus is, is recording these things, or excuse me, Luke is recording these things for Theophilus, so that, look, you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught about Christ. Here is how he entered into the world. God is faithful. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. That's comforting, and that's disconcerting. It's comforting because the promise is salvation, salvation from sin. It's disconcerting because the other side of the coin is there is wrath for those who are not trusting. There is judgment outside of Christ. So God is faithful to keep his promise to save and God will be faithful to keep his promise to judge as well. So we come to him as his servant, asking him, asking him as Mary said, Lord, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Will you pray with me? Lord, we praise you this day for how you have brought Jesus into this world. Lord, we confess together, nothing is impossible with you. You created everything from nothing. Thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus of Nazareth. Father, give us eyes to see you for who you really are. Help us see ourselves for who we really are, servants of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.